today, Chris Gast, and our feature today is going to be talking about the abortion amendment uh, to the Michigan Constitution. So people are out collecting signatures, uh, representing Planned Parenthood and the ACLU, uh, and anyone that wants abortion in the Michigan Constitution. And uh, we've talked about it, but what would this amendment actually do? That's what we're going to talk about today. If you've read any media coverage, and there hasn't been a ton, uh, since they've actually had the proposal out there and in writing, uh, there's been, I don't think, a single word mentioning what the amendment would actually do. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say you're not going to see much reporting on what the amendment would actually do. So it's up to us as pro-life people, Right to Life of Michigan, as citizens to support Michigan women and children, to really explain what this amendment would do because um, it is extremely far-reaching, as you'll see. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through this entire amendment. Uh, the amendment itself is not long. Uh, the discussion of it could be much more than the 30 minutes we have today, uh, but that's our limit, and so that's what I'm going to try to fit in for you. So let's jump right in. So the Reproductive Freedom for All Amendment starts by saying that every individual has a fundamental right to reproductive freedom which entails the right to make and effectuate decisions about all matters relating to pregnancy, including but not limited to prenatal care, childbirth, postpartum care, contraception, sterilization, abortion care, miscarriage management, and infertility care. So uh, just unpacking that, they're saying that there is this fundamental right to reproductive freedom in the Constitution, which they want to put in, and this right is extremely broad. It includes all matters related to pregnancy, including but not limited to, and then it lists off a ton of different things. So I think obviously uh, people would realize that that right to reproductive freedom kind of already exists, and uh, you know people can you know pregnant women can make up birth plans for prenatal care. Um, women can have at-home childbirth. Uh, you know, uh, right down to contraception and sterilization and miscarriage management, which um, it's kind of odd that they include that in there uh, because obviously you can get treated for miscarriage uh, even before Michigan's uh, abortion law was superseded by Roe versus Wade. So one thing that they didn't include in there, but I think is really key, is they didn't include the word sex. So obviously sex is related to pregnancy. And that is going to be really key as we continue to go through this. So keep that in mind. So this is a broad right. Everything, anything you can think of relating to pregnancy is included in this. So any Michigan law that impacts pregnancy in any way will be affected by this amendment. All right. So continuing on, it says, An individual's right to reproductive freedom shall not be denied, burdened, nor infringed upon unless justified by a compelling state interest achieved by the least restrictive means. So what they're doing there is that's the same basic legal standard as the uh, Religious Freedom Restoration Act, or RIFRA. In other words, you can't violate, uh, the RIFRA says you can't violate religious freedom uh, unless there's a compelling state interest and you're doing it in the least restrictive way. Uh, so it's kind of limiting what the government can do. So what they're doing here is uh, they're instead of uh, religious freedom, they are instead saying this reproductive freedom can't be uh, affected at all unless there's a compelling state interest, which means the state 
has to do uh, one of their duties, and then it's achieved by the least restrictive means. So um, this is going to be key because uh, they define uh, what a compelling state interest is. We'll get to that in a second. Continuing on. Uh, Notwithstanding the above, the state may regulate the provision of abortion care after fetal viability, provided that no circumstance shall the state prohibit an abortion that in the professional judgment of an attending healthcare professional is medically indicated to protect the life or physical or mental health of the pregnant individual. So in other words, uh, it's saying the state can ban abortions after fetal viability, provided that uh, you know the state still has these exceptions. And so what this is doing is, is exactly what Doe versus Bolton does uh, with Roe versus Wade. So Roe versus Wade says... And what later cases have said is you can restrict late-term abortions, but you have to have a health exception. And then in Doe versus Bolton, the Supreme Court said this health health means anything, physical health, social, economic, whatever. Uh, so what this is doing here in this amendment that they want for the state of Michigan is it's saying that uh, you know you can ban late-term abor- you can ban abortions after fetal viabil- viability, but it has to have this uh, health exception that includes mental health as well as the life of the mother. Most people think that's a life of the mother exception, but health in this circumstance, just like in our current legal circumstance, means anything. So you can ban late-term abortions as long as you allow them for anything. Also, they uh, redefine fetal viability, which we'll get to in a second. As you can see, they're kind of they're making these terms that seem, uh, to many people would seem kind of, that make sense, but then they're going to completely redefine what these terms mean and basically prevent any state law or regulation on these topics. Uh, so the next line in their amendment is, the state shall not discriminate in the protection or enforcement of this fundamental right. So um, besides the fact that they are including abortion as a right to reproductive freedom, here is the first uh you know, real red flag, you know, what does that mean? What does discrimination mean exactly? We've seen discrimination to be broadly construed as meaning anything these days. So, uh, and it's not just the state shall not discriminate in, you know, enforcement of, you know, so what they're saying here is not just, you know, the state can't act. They're, this line is saying the state has to act. The state has to protect and enforce this fundamental right. So it's not just, you know, keep the government out of the bedroom. It's the government is going to be in the bedroom to enforce these rights. So, uh, for example, let's say a doctor or a nurse doesn't want to do an abortion or doesn't want to sterilize a child, Um, which, by the way, this amendment, as you'll not hear, does not mention adults. So it would theoretically apply to children. Um, you know, if pro-life doctor or nurse does, or any doctor or nurse doesn't want to, you know, sterilize a five-year-old kid because the parents, um, you know, want them to, or, or the eight-year-old decides, oh, I don't want to ever have kids. I want to get a sterilization. That's saying basically that the doctors would be discriminating against that person and the state cannot discriminate in the protection or enforcement of this fundamental right. So again, it's not just... You know, uh, rights are things that protect you from 
government prosecution. That's what rights are supposed to be. I have a right to free speech means the government can't prosecute me for saying something bad, generally. Um, you know, I have a right to keep and bear arms, which means the government can't prosecute me for bearing arms. I have a right against unreasonable search and seizure, which means the state can't barge into my house and start rifling through my stuff. But this is saying that the state, uh, the right must be enforced by the state. And so the question is, enforced against who? Not against itself. This is the government using this to exert power over other individuals. So that's not really freedom. That's kind of the opposite of freedom. Let's continue on. Uh, it says, the state shall not penalize, prosecute, or otherwise take adverse action against an individual based on their actual potential perceived or alleged pregnancy outcomes, including but not limited to miscarriage, stillbirth, or abortion. Um, so there is this myth that the abortion supporters have that, uh, you know, if we restrict abortion, then women who have miscarriages are going to be hauled you know, in front of juries and prosecutors and grilled for it, which, I mean, it's just bunk. I mean, people can use a little common sense here. You know, abortions were banned in almost, you know, broadly in every state before, you know, 1965, and still in almost every state when Roe versus Wade was passed, uh, was decided in 1973. And that includes Michigan. How many women were investigated for their miscarriages in Michigan? I mean, there are people who are still alive, who plenty of people still alive, who had, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people still alive in this country who have had miscarriages before 1973 when abortion was illegal. Did they end up in jail? Did they end up investigated? No, that's just ridiculous. It's just stupid. It really is just stupid. It, they're taking a straw man and putting it into the, they want to put it into the Michigan Constitution. It's just ridiculous. And they're doing it in such a broad way. Think about this. So the state can't penalize, prosecute, or take an adverse action against someone. I would say that includes you can't investigate someone against an individual based on their uh, potential perceived or alleged pregnancy outcomes. So miscarriage, stillbirth, or abortion. So if someone gives birth and then abandons the baby in the trash, uh and they say, oh, well, this baby was, uh, was stillborn. Was, the baby was stillborn, um, and I, that's why I dumped the baby in the trash, which very rare, but that does happen. That really happens. It's happened in Michigan in the last few years. Well, if this amendment passes, the state can't penalize, prosecute, or even investigate that alleged pregnancy outcome. What they're doing here is basically decriminalizing infanticide. So if the abortion facility does a botched abortion and says, whoop, this baby came out dead, uh, this amendment says you have to believe him. Because, I mean, it's, it's, you can allege that uh, the baby was neglected to death, uh, but that's just an alleged pregnancy outcome, which the state can't penalize, prosecute, or otherwise take an adverse action against. Well, that's horrifying. That's horrifying. Why do they why do they go to these lengths? And uh, you might ask yourself, well, why? Why would they include that in there? That's because uh, this is so, um, you know, women who are having illegal black market abortions, even if this passes and abortion is still entirely legal, there's still going to be women who are buying black market abortions 
you know, they just want to save some bucks. So they order some pills off the internet. Um, you know, uh, they can do whatever they want. They can dump a baby in the garbage, say it was stillborn, and there's nothing anyone can do about it. And I think most people who consider themselves pro-choice would listen to that and hopefully be utterly horrified. And I think they would. But that's where this amendment, if it passes, if Planned Parenthood and the ACLU collect enough signatures, that's what's going to be in the state of Michigan. It gets worse. <laughs> it gets worse from there. How can it be worse than infanticide? Uh, well, I don't know if it can be worse than infanticide. Let's just say it, there's more bad to go. All right, so let's keep reading their amendment. Uh, Nor shall the state penalize, prosecute, or otherwise take adverse action, same language as the previous statement, against someone for aiding or assisting a pregnant individual in exercising their right to reproductive freedom with their voluntary consent. So a pregnant person wants to do anything that they want because they have this broad right to reproductive freedom. Um, anyone who is helping her do that can't be penalized, prosecuted, or even investigated. No adverse action against them. Nothing can happen to them. So think about this. A school counselor wants to take a 13-year-old girl to have an abortion without telling her parents. There's nothing that the state can do. I mean, she works for a state school. She can't even be fired. There's nothing that you can do. That 13-year-old girl wants to have an abortion. You know, this amendment doesn't say anything about age. Uh, school counselor takes her to the abortion facility. Parents find out. If they find out, um, then there's nothing that can happen. Can't do anything about it. Uh, what if the what if a woman wants to save a few dollars and she doesn't want to go have uh, an abortionist or even a nurse perform her abortion? Suppose an untrained employee at the clinic. There's no doctor. There's no registered nurse today. We're just going to keep performing abortions anyway. So an untrained employee at an abortion facility performs an abortion. You know, this isn't in the realm of uh, fantasy. In the Kermit Cosnell case in Pennsylvania, there was, uh, you know, 18, there, there were teenagers untrained assisting with abortions. No medical training whatsoever. If this passes in Michigan, you can't penalize, prosecute, or take adverse action against them. There's nothing health and safety regulators could be, you know, they're completely powerless to act if this amendment passes. You know, I think most even pro-choice people would agree, you know, we shouldn't have, you know, random employees in an abortion facility performing surgery. That's bad. Women are going to die. But this amendment says can't do anything about it. Can't do a darn thing about it. All right. There's just a little bit left to this amendment. Um, let's uh, well, let's go right to the next section. I thought about skipping it because it's going to be the longest part, but this is the meat of this amendment. Besides all these other things, uh, you know, related to all these issues, this is the section right here is the meat of this amendment and why it's going to invalidate so many laws. So it says. This is where it starts defining things. For the purposes of this section, a state interest is compelling. So in other words, let's go back. So a state can't uh, do anything about this reproductive right, uh, this reproductive freedom, unless it is justified by a compelling state interest. So in other words, 
what we're about to read is what the state has to satisfy in order to do anything, deny, burden, infringe in any way on this reproductive freedom right. That includes everything related to pregnancy. Everything related to pregnancy. So the amendment would, uh, says a state interest is compelling only if it is for the limited person of, there's three parts here, protecting the health of an individual seeking care, consistent with the accepted clinical standards of practice and evidence-based medicine, and the third does not infringe on that individual's autonomous decision-making. So let's put together these obstacles. So the first obstacle any state law on anything related to pregnancy has to overcome is the law can only be for the purpose of protecting health, uh, which is undefined. So, for example, we have a state law that prevents uh, Medicaid from paying for abortion. And this is because uh, this is a conscience rights law. This is protecting you from being forced to pay for another person's abortion. Well, that law is not about protecting health, per se, so this would limit... Uh, that law. It would overturn that law. So our tax-funded abortions in Michigan would resume again uh, because it fails that first obstacle. You know, if a nurse doesn't want to be forced to help perform a late-term abortion, you know, we can't do conscience rights for anybody because those laws are not about protecting the health of an individual. They're about protecting the actual literal rights of freedom in all other manner and aspects of your life. Uh, of other people. So this right to reproductive freedom becomes a right controlling everything else in the state, controlling every other right. And again, the state shall not discriminate in the protection or enforcement of this fundamental right. So we're going to throw away every other freedom on planet Earth in service of this right to reproductive freedom, abortion, and anything related to pregnancy. So that's the first obstacle. It's a pretty big obstacle. The second obstacle you know, the law must agree with accepted clinical standards of practice and evidence-based medicine. Who writes those for abortions? The abortion industry. They write their own standards. They are the only one. They control 100% of the access to women having abortions, basically. They control 100% of the research about the topic. And, uh the Organization for Obstetricians, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, is controlled by the abortion lobby. 100% lock, stock, and barrel controlled by the abortion industry. So they're writing, so it sounds in the amendment, oh, well, you know, there's going to be these, you know, neutral, evidence-based science rules that are like, you know, well-crafted and researched, man, and like doctors and universities. And yeah, no, it's the abortion industry. <laughs> that's like the that's like the tobacco industry being 100% in control of uh of research for uh smoking and writing their own rules. So this is ridiculous. So for example, you know, in Michigan we have a law that screens women for coercion. You know, the abortion facilities have to ask, you know, are you being coerced to have this abortion? Well, According to the abortion industry, well, that's not evidence-based. That doesn't happen, they say, even though it does. They just say it doesn't happen, so it doesn't happen. So that becomes the accepted clinical standard of practice, is we don't ask women if they're being forced to have an abortion. We don't ask them at all. If they're being forced to have an abortion, oh, well, more money for us. 
This amendment says can't screen women for coercion to abortion. That's bad. You know, so any forced abortions, those cases, you know, of an abusive spouse, uh, a boyfriend, you know, in, an incestuous relative, you know, raping a young child, they bring their them in for an abortion, you know, just go on right through. That's the s- clinical standard of practice based on evidence-based medicine from the abortion industry. Uh, abortion businesses object to health inspections, safety regulations that every other outpatient facility are required to follow. So no health or safety regulation can survive. They're just going to say, no, you don't have to see if we've actually cleaned our surgical instruments. That's not a standard of practice. And that's there's no evidence that that's ever happened, even though there is. But, um, you know, it's carte blanche to do whatever they want. Any health and safety regulation on anything related to pregnancy, uh, the industry is in control of that. Now, there's a reason Generally in America, states have broad rights to regulate healthcare fields. The states have that power. And even, you know, even some people might consider themselves hardcore libertarians might uh, see the wisdom in that based on our history. You know, there's a reason states have such influence and they want to completely get away with it, get rid of that. But only for this, only abortion and anything related to pregnancy. Everything else, everything is still in place. That should set off a big red flag. You know, anything requiring them to show women an ultrasound. You know, informed consent is a basic cornerstone of medicine. Well, that's not part of their clinical standards of practice, so goodbye. Um, Informed consent of any kind before the surgery. Nope, just whisk her right in. She gets an abortion. Doesn't even have to talk about what's happening here. Uh, None of these are clinical standards, so they're all gone. So this gives the abortion businesses ultimate control over our state laws. Not voters. Not the health department, not state regulators, not elected officials. Third, and very important, it says any law does not infringe on that individual's autonomous decision-making. So these are three obstacles. So any one obstacle a law violates, it has to get tossed out. So (laughs) think about that. So as long as an individual, an autonomous decision-making, so if, if someone wants to do something related to pregnancy, In any way, it has to be allowed. A law cannot infringe on an individual's autonomous decision-making in any way. Well, think about that. If consent is the only limit, you can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want, and there's no limit on age. You know, uh, I'm sure that they weren't thinking about this when they wrote it this way because this is written so poorly, but, you know, if a 14-year-old girl wants to get pregnant by a... 30-year-old man, well, she can do that, can't she? She has. We can't infringe on her autonomous decision-making. It says individual. It doesn't even say women, but it doesn't say adult. It just says an individual. So, you know, if a child wants to violate, um, wants to violate uh, our laws about age of consent when it comes to sex, this seems that that would be allowed to happen. Um, incest, you know, incest is illegal in Michigan. So let's say two 20-year-old, a 20-year-old brother and a sister want to have a baby together. That's You can't do that. That's illegal in Michigan. I think most people would be horrified. And the first thing they probably would think about is birth defects. Um, but uh, you could do that. 
it's their autonomous decision making to have a pregnancy and they have a broad right to free reproductive freedom we can't infringe on their autonomous decision making so it's not just the abortion amendment this is the incest amendment this we can go on and on and on you know our human cloning ban you know Michigan has a human cloning ban things not even you wouldn't even think are related to this topic and you know, if someone wants to create a, if it were possible, it's not possible yet, uh, although there have been attempts, you know, if someone wants to create a clone of themselves, uh, reproductive cloning, then that's their autonomous decision making. You can't infringe on that in any way. Uh, you know, any creepy things that uh, they want to do in fertility clinics. You know, a mother wants to use her dead son's sperm in IVF so she can have another version of her son. Uh, and the IVF clinic doctors says, time out, I'm not doing that. Nope, that's discrimination, and the state shall not discriminate in enforcing this fundamental right. If a woman wants to do it, if anyone wants to do anything related to pregnancy, you can't infringe on their autonomous decision-making. So uh, I won't belabor the point, and you're going to hear a lot more as we go over the next few months, uh, but this could impact basically every, not every state law, but anything related to pregnancy. And we've just begun to scratch the surface of bad scenarios that this amendment would allow. Uh, we just have a couple minutes. Let's finish up. There's just two more sections. Um, uh, the next section, uh, they redefine fetal viability. So fetal viability is supposed to mean, you know, when a child can survive outside the womb. Uh, in this amendment, they say, uh, Fetal viability means the point in pregnancy when, in the professional judgment of an attending healthcare professional, and based on the particular facts of the case, there is a significant likelihood of the fetus's sustained survival outside the uterus without the application of extraordinary medical measures. So, first of all, they say attending healthcare professional. They don't say doctor, they don't say nurse. Anyone who is a professional in the healthcare arena can make this determination of fetal viability. So, a dentist. Your dentist, you know, could decide whether or not your your child is going to need medical care once they're born. That's, I think you should see the ridiculousness of that. Um, and then it says, you know, it's not just if the child can survive outside the womb, it's if they need extraordinary medical measures. Well, what is an extraordinary medical measure? You know, anything that the child requires, basically outside of, you know, aspirin, and Tylenol, you know, insulin is an extraordinary medical measure. You know, anything that is sustaining your life. So an incubator, you know, an incubator keeping the child's body heat regulated is an extraordinary medical measure. So this law is saying all those children in the NICU were not viable children when they were born. And I think you can do the math when you think about what is that going to mean. Again, we talk about decriminalizing infanticide earlier in the amendment. And the, the amendment talks about uh, limiting abortions after viability. But basically, they're moving the point of viability from what is medically and legally accepted as the point at which a child can survive outside the womb to basically 38 weeks of pregnancy. And of course, you know, any medical, any healthcare professional can just decide in their professional judgment. A dentist can decide, well, well that child probably will need some extraordinary medical measures so they're not... Um, a viable child. Do the math. Think about that. 
All right, and the final section is just kind of boilerplate added to everything. You know, this section shall be self-executing. Any provision of this section held invalid shall be severable from the remaining portions of this section. So courts say, uh, you know, you can't do this particular part, then the rest of it can say, and that's just kind of regular boilerplate. So just again, to sum up real quick, this amendment is bad. It's written very broadly. It's redefining terms. So it's saying one thing and then kind of pulling a switcheroo on you. Um, it's allowing anything related to pregnancy. And the only thing it has in here, the only gate, the only wall is autonomous decision making. So anything anyone says in the state goes at any age related to pregnancy, sex, abortion, sterilization, miscarriage management, whatever. So that's bad. You know, again, do the math. This is terrible. We have to oppose it. And we're going to keep talking about that as we go. So keep that in mind. Keep working. Keep listening. We have a lot of work to do uh, to make sure they don't collect their signatures. And if we do, to defeat it at the ballot box. Thank you for listening today. Hope you have a wonderful weekend and join us again next week.